All right, we're here today. First, first wine tasting interview of the podcast. We have a very special guest today, Peggy from Swiss Cellars. Who's Peggy? AKA Margaret. Oh, Margaret. I'm Margaret. Sorry. Um, the queen, the queen of the Swiss wines. Um, Peggy, hello. Welcome to the show. You are our first official guest. Well, thank you. It just kind of happened like that, and here we are. Um, We're going to talk today a little bit about wines for the Thanksgiving table, since Thanksgiving is is right around the corner. Uh, But first, I thought we'd just maybe introduce you to the audience. Um, I don't know. Maybe you can give us a little background uh, on your... Uh, history in in the wine world or the beverage world, and um, just let us know who you are and what you're about a little bit. Um, Well, wine's kind of been my beverage of choice since my first communion. (laughs) That's funny. Little wine joke. And um, always was a fan. Before I got into the wine world, went to every possible tasting at every possible restaurant or bar that I could. If I were on vacation and there were a winery, no matter where we were, I mean, it could be Dubuque, Iowa. Oh, look, a winery. And I'll pull in and taste whatever they were making because I was always fascinated by the process um, as well as what they're allegedly pulling out of the grapes. You know, when you read those flowery descriptions, it always kind of made me laugh. And obviously, as most people in the business, you kind of hone your palate over the years. So everybody starts out, you know, drinking sweet-ass Riesling or Lambrusco and kind of evolves from there. Um, But I ended up getting in the business because I had to switch professions, um, which is just a story for another day, due to health reasons. And I figured having a master's degree in political science qualified me for running for office or selling booze. I mean, yeah, yeah, which is fair. fair. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and what I loved about wine, especially, is just being a history geek, like the history behind the grapes and why certain regions had certain grapes, or like the role of, say, you know, being a Catholic schoolgirl, the Catholic Church, um, you know, Chateau Neuf de Papa. I always found it fascinating because there was always an angle where you could relate it to something monumental in history, which I thought was kind of cool. So, yeah. It all comes back to the wine, it to the booze. It all comes back to the wine. Yeah. E pluribus venom, baby. <laughs> In vino veritas. That yes. too. Yeah. Um, well, that's cool. So, you're originally from Chicago. Yep. Um, someday. Hey, that's not allowed on this podcast. <laughs> Just someday. <laughs> Put up a fight at some point. <laughs> um, you are up here in Wisconsin now, yes. and you work for um, a company called Swiss Cellars. Yep. Um, based near Madison area, Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb, yeah. wherever. That's further west than Madison, isn't it? Or no? Yes. Yeah, it's about further. a half an hour drive. Is okay. The, is that the Driftless? Not quite the Driftless. Almost the Driftless. It's the like doorstep. The, yeah, it is. Of the, the Driftless. The doorstep of the Driftless. Yeah. 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 And very near to New Glarus, which is a Swiss community within Wisconsin, which is why Laurent kind of gravitated towards there. Yeah. Laurent, the man that we <laughs> are still not sure. Of <laughs> exists but he may be fictional he is the 
the uh, the president, CEO, proprietor, allegedly, of Swiss sellers. A gentleman came in once and had a fairly thick sort of Swiss accent. I'm I'm not going to put it past you that you wouldn't have hired a fella. You know, I... I've been known to Laurent, do if you're out there, thing, so. call into the show. Yeah. Let us know you're okay. No, it's it's cool because I, I feel like uh, the Swiss typically drink uh, most of the wine that they make, yep. um, and not a ton of Swiss wine makes it to the U.S. And that said, uh, Wisconsin is a fairly small wine market, I would imagine, in the U.S. Um, yeah. And I think we're probably very lucky to have a dedicated Swiss wine uh, importer and distribution company here, and it's really cool. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I think, um, you know, just talking to people who come in here from uh, further afield, like places from Chicago or Minneapolis or wherever, uh, they're they're shocked to see Swiss wines on the shelf here or on, on our glass pour list when we have them. And... Um, yeah, I, I feel like we are 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 very uh, we're so blessed to go. have the Swiss wines here. Which which ties into the whole Thanksgiving thing. Blessed. There yeah. you go. There yeah, is. we're blessed. Yeah, blessed. I don't know. Yeah, is that a thing? No, like, it is. Yeah. Blessed is yeah, a okay. thing. Yeah. Um speaking of Thanksgiving, yes. we should get into the discussion okay. today. Um, I see here you have about seven or eight wines with you. Yep. Um there's really wine. It's not prop wine, everybody. Not prop wine. We're really doing this in real life. Um, it's, it's true. I, yeah. Uh, I see it. <laughs> <laughs> I can taste it. Um, so typically, you know, and, and I know I'm not alone in this, and, and Buckster feels the same way. Um, typically, this time of year, when you have a big family feast going on, there are particular wines that, that tend to do really well at the table. Um, and these, these are typically wines from Beaujolais or Burgundy, um, even some Rieslings and, and some other things. Um, so we're going to kind of talk today a little bit about some flavors that um, are present in the wines that, that you brought to show us today. Uh, and we're going to talk about a little bit about, you know, obviously how they taste and, and how they feel, but why they, why they would belong on your table for Thanksgiving um, and... Uh, and then later we're going to have a little bit of uh, a really cool cheese with Buckster. So, um, cheese with Buckster. Cheese, cheese with, Buckster. with Buckster. Should be its own podcast. There might be a spinoff. I don't know. <laughs> um, it'll be like the Stargate SG two. I was going to say more like the Fraser. <laughs> Fraser. Yeah. Okay. Toss, so this is toss, cheers. Toss salad and scrambled eggs. Is that yes, what it is? That's what it is. That's uh it's dirty. We can reenact filthy. the whole um reenact the whole what what was the key master or the wine between Niles and Fraser when they had to do the deductive tasting and oh, oh my God. I do recall that. Call a cab. I had something about a, a Bordeaux blend from California. Anyway, I digress. It was Anywho. funny though. Um, Peggy, Google what's it, our first wine today? What are we what are we getting into? Okay, well uh couple of things. I mean, obviously, when you think Thanksgiving, um, the Beaujolais grape, or the, I should, well, the Gamay grape, Beaujolais region pops to mind. And we'll get into that when we 
progress through our tasting. But right now, we have a Beaujolais Blanc with us. Mm -hmm. um, interesting thing about the Beaujolais region, rightly so, most people associate it with the Gamay Noir grape because, let's face it, that's 98% of what the region produces. Uh, but about 2% of the grapes are dedicated to white wine, specifically Chardonnay. They can also grow Elegote and use that for Beaujolais Blanc, but nine times out of ten, it's going to be Chardonnay. Um, and if you look at a map, they're very close proximity to the Burgundy region, which means they're close to the Mackinac, where Chardonnay is king. And um, what I like about... And the listeners are going to find out that I am very much an old world wine snob. What I like about old world Chardonnay, specific French Chardonnay, is that um, the French have figured out how to add mouthfeel and give their wines an almost creamy texture without it being melted butter like a lot of what you get right. from Napa. Yeah, I, I was going to say one of the things that I appreciate about French Chardonnays is the fact that they're not California Chardonnays. <laughs> and I know that I know that that's a that's All a, three of us hate California Chardonnays. That's, um, that's a very generic sort of like statement. I'm sure there are great California Chardonnays. There's got to the, be a couple the, out there. The mouthfeel thing is important and it and it does. It gives it a creamy texture without it tasting like you're eating popcorn, which oh. I, is gross. It, it was is. it was cool it was cool like in 99 1999 for about 6 months. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think there's there's a just a a balance that only the French can seem to achieve with some of these Chardonnays, mm -hmm. um, and this is one that that we that we really like a lot. And this was on our glass pour list. Um, I think in September, and um, man, I got people were way into this, yeah. and yeah, we did get a fair amount of people coming in here and saying, I had no idea that Chardonnay. Like could come from Beaujolais, right? Um, and we're here to we're here to say that yes, it can, and it's delicious. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know this, but is, is Chardonnay a fairly um, popular grape? I mean, uh, across the planet? Yes. Okay. Yes. It has to be one of the bigger varietals. White wine varietals, definitely. Okay. Um, and what? So obviously, if you Beaujolais Blanc aside, if you look at Burgundy, you can get like steely just steely goodness in a Premier Cru Chablis all okay. the way up to say something like a Mersol, which has a much creamier, much fuller mouthfeel. But the nice thing about Beaujolais Blanc and any type of white Burgundy is that like we were saying, they figure out mouthfeel, they figure out um, a way to get a little bit of weight to the wine so that it can handle food without it being buttery. But they also, in my opinion, um, retain more of the true fruit flavors in the profile of Chardonnay, as well as minerality and a better acidity than a lot of what is coming out of Napa. So the mm -hmm. important thing to think about Thanksgiving meal, I mean, you know, there's this, this old wine pairing rule, which is true that you should um, take into consideration the weight of the food that you're having versus the weight of the wine. Because if the wine is feather light and you have a really heavy meal, that food is going to consume it and overwhelm it and vice versa. But um, Thanksgiving meal itself, the meal in totality is heavy, but each individual component part isn't necessarily a weighty food. Yeah, I don't think the meal is 
inherently heavy per se, no, but we tend to eat two portions. <laughs> Absolutely. Sometimes three. And then if you yeah. eat early enough, you're having that sandwich yeah. at the yeah, end of the yeah, meal. Exactly. So you're kind of, you're like midnight, you're like, hey, sandwich time. Yeah, you, and need, you need a wine that's like got a little bit of muscle to it to yeah. kind of get you through the feast. Yeah. But and I then, think your point about acidity is, is well taken. And yeah. I think that's kind of a theme throughout today's wines. Absolutely. Because um, it's going to cut through the richness. Right. Of the meal. Thanksgiving is all about that butter and that gravy. Right. And, man, just, like, fat coming out of that bird. So... I feel like Peggy and I have talked about this before, and and maybe you're on the same page as we are, Jordan, that we're a a bit contrarian when it comes to Mm -hmm. wine pairings, that it is more about a, a fatty piece of meat and the acid that cuts through it as opposed to, oh, I'm having a ribeye, I have to have a big Cabernet or something like that that has the the tannins. tannins. But I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong having a high-acid white that does the same thing, kind of, that cuts through the fattiness of it. It's weird, it's crazy, and, and maybe I'm a little, you know, whatever for it, but I think... I. I think a high acid, uh, a high acid white could work. Yeah, for sure. And this is a prime example. This the Chardonnay. Um, I mean, this is going to be awesome with uh, turkey. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, or mashed potatoes or whatever. And um, also think about the flavor components. I mean, when you start getting something that's really herbaceous, or you know, like sure. the different herbs you're using just in the basting process, the fruitiness of the mm-hmm. Chardonnay is going to nicely contrast i.e. balance right. those components. And, and I think, too, I mean, like, this is, this is a really um, focused and, um, I don't know, see, there's just, this wine has a lot of character yeah. to it as, for a white, and I think, you know, that, that does lend itself to, to a lot of those herbal flavors and things like that. And uh, on contrast, the, the reds that we're going to be talking about for Thanksgiving tend to be lighter-bodied, um, Buckster you know, Reds. Buckster Reds. Oh, yes. Buckster Reds. Um, and those, those are also, um, you know, perfectly suited. Not a, ton of, not a ton of body or weight or tannin, but things that are generally a little bit more lighter and brighter. Yeah. Um, and that also highlight, um, you know, some of, the, some of the fruit flavors and vegetable flavors on the table uh, for Thanksgiving. So uh, let's move on okay. to the next one. Love this wine, um, and oh yeah, this one also we've we've done a lot of work with uh, Michelle Fonet, and we love this producer here at Voyager. Um, just beautiful stuff, also really affordable, um, and uh, yeah, let's get into Peggy, it. Peggy just very quietly said. Just a splash. Just a splash. For me, because I have to drive. Yeah, Peggy usually is a teetotaler for these (laughs) tastings. She's getting a little outside of her comfort zone today, but I think it's for a good cause. Well, yes, because for the listening audience, I tend to have a lead foot. Yeah. Um. So she is from Chicago, so (laughs) she doesn't stop at stop signs. Peggy has been. I get points as I mow things down. You know. Peggy has been (laughs) remarkably consistent with her story. Her alleged lead foot. And, and I tend to believe her. I, I think before we were even open, Peggy was one of the first uh, purveyors sort of to come in and talk to us about wine. And, you know, we'd like to have them taste as well. And, and she has always been a bit reluctant because of her 
apparent lead foot, and someday we'll go for a ride. And I kind of want to see it. You, I don't, you want I to think, see that, and you want to see dark Peggy, two things you might not ever see, but yeah. Peggy and um. Bucks are probably the opposite drivers. <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah, I have a tendency to drive like a 79-year-old woman. <laughs> yeah. Or man. It does, it's not yeah. a sexist it's thing. Not, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Riesling yes. from Alsace. Riesling from Alsace. This okay. is great. Now, Riesling, obviously, people tend to associate with Germany, which is totally understandable. But yeah, it Klaus. is grown and done beautifully throughout Europe. I mean, just think, say, Austrian Riesling, which, for the listening audience, Austria will never produce a sweet Riesling. They might do a dessert wine, but for everyday drinking, their Rieslings are going to be bone, bone dry. Um, Northern Italy also does Riesling, and they do tend to be on the drier side. So think um, trocken, which is the German word for dry. And then you have Rieslings from Alsace, which are usually done, as this one is, in an off-dry manner. So in terms of um, residual sugar, it's going to fall between a trocken or a dry wine and, say, a cabinet. Riesling. Mm-hmm. So right. the first Riesling picking of the season when you start getting into the Pradikat system and the levels of sweetness within Germany. And what I like about this, um, and, and I know that the three of us always talk about, we, we see vast differences in our opinions between drinking a sweet wine versus drinking a really well-made dessert wine. Right. So when yeah. we're talking about sweet here, we're just talking about just sweet-ass wine. Um, but... A little bit of residual sugar is not a bad thing because it gets your salivating, your salivation glands going. Um, so from the point of view of, like, say, a restaurant or a bar that also happens to have small plates, cheese, charcuterie, that sort of thing, you kind of want people thinking, you know what? I was going to stop for one glass of wine. Now maybe I'll have a second glass and some food. Sure. So strategically, yeah, get, it's get not... Get a little of the thirst coming on. Yeah, like, it's not yeah. necessarily a bad thing. Um, and also, let's face it, there are components of your Thanksgiving meal that are going to have some sweetness to it. Now, candied yams gross me out. Um, I just think they're too <sighs> sweet. If I'm eating something as sweet as a candied yam, I'd rather eat dessert. That's just well, me. Well, yeah. I mean, when you're throwing the brown sugar on there and yeah. then, the, and then the, the, uh, the candied pecans and, and you think that let's put some mini marshmallows on top of that, that, uh, sorry, mom, that's, that's disgusting. That's yeah. just, that's no good. And, and I, I, know you, I know you love that stuff, mom, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's passe. It's too much. It's too much. Or, or like one <laughs> tablespoonful and I'm done. Do you know what I mean? You, well, you, right. Right. I, I, if, you if, might as well use it as a sandwich spread the next day. Yes. Or if you could capture that, throw it in a pie crust, bake it for a little while mm. longer, mix it with an egg or something to sort of hold it together, then you have a, then you have a great sweet potato pie. Right. Perfect. But uh, Verdict here. Candied yams, no bueno. No bueno. Let's... However, sweet potatoes done in a savory manner with like a little bit of balsamic, some rosemary, toast. Balsamic or balsamic? Yeah, this is a new... A new Italian vinegar that I don't know about. Um, <laughs> well, no, the, some of the kids, some of the kids yeah. say balsamic. Some of them say balsamic. I, I've been rewatching The Sopranos, <laughs> and they call it balsamic. And yeah. there's there's but an that episode could be a Jersey that thing. that uh, Carmela's mother is like, oh, balsamic this, balsamic that. Yeah, you put my, it in the my, my mother, my mother never used balsamic. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well. Let's talk about this wine real quick. Sorry. Um, yeah, sorry. This happens to us all the time when Peggy's here. 
Um, we solve all the world's problems. Jordan, this, this seems like a Jordan wine, at least on the nose. This, Does yeah. it, do these wines typically have a bit of a petrol sort of I, yeah, I think gasoline so. vibe this on one, the nose? Yeah. This one, I think especially from, from Fonet, has a little bit more pronounced petrol mm-hmm. on the nose, which I really, really like. Um, I think that... Did you ever Have you ever uh, huffed gasoline just as a... You know, when I was a kid, I used to love like when my dad would go to the gas station... And I just like smell the gasoline, spilled gasoline. Yeah, every once in a while, when I was a kid, I would uh, take my pennies, collect my pennies, and go to the gas station and just give them, give them like I don't know, thirteen or fourteen cents, and just spray just a tiny bit of my hands, clap it up, and throw it on my neck <laughs> instead yeah. of brute. Oh, that's, yeah, that's real. It was nice. the Jacar Noir of <laughs> Iowa the back spice. in the day. <laughs> hey, Jacar hey, Noir Buster was the Jacar Noir of Iowa. <laughs> don't. Fuck with Jakar Noir. Uh, okay. Well, so I mean, but we're getting towards the same thing as we were with the the old world Chardonnay. Higher acidity, mm-hmm. better minerality. Acidity is going to be, again, to your point, a theme throughout today's tasting because it will cut the richness of the meal. But the slight amount of residual sugar here, even, say, sweet potatoes done in a savory fashion, they're still going to have some sweetness. I mean, it's sweet potato. It's, it's in the name. It's barely perceptible right. residual sugar right. on this. Um, but just enough to complement it. Just enough to, like, really give it, give the wine a little bit of rounded edges on the the acid profile and a little extra weight on your tongue. Um, this wine is astoundingly good. Um, I think this is definitely a winner for Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on here. A lot of orchard fruit, mm-hmm. some like kind of white floral notes going on. This is something you can sip on while you're waiting for that turkey to finish up in the oven or oh, whatever absolutely. you're doing. Um, and yeah, it's great throughout the meal. Yep. This is really nice. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, shit. <laughs> I just war- warned everybody Clean. not to do that in the pre-production meeting today. Pre-production it was meeting. A, it was a pretty intense meeting. It was, really, it was a really intense, intense pre-production meeting. Um, okay, we have our first red of the day. We this do. Is exciting. Now, interestingly enough, um, so there are a couple of things that are fantastic for Thanksgiving dinner that we don't have with us. Just real fast for for your listening public. Um, antacid? Dry oh, rosés. <laughs> antacid. Maybe other people's wines, not mine, Buckster. No, hey, not the wine. I'm okay. just saying after you just pound making sure. seven or eight pounds of food. That's true. Um, two things that we don't have today that also will be really, really, really perfect for Thanksgiving meal. A dry rosé, specifically if you can get a rosé that is from, say, Pinot Noir grape, uh, Gamay grape. Um, it, it just, for all the qualities that we'll talk about in those grapes, you just get it in rosé format. So for those of you who have never thought about drinking rosé throughout the winter or actually pairing it with things, rosé can handle almost any type of food. True. Because if you think about it, a true rosé, so a wine made with less time against the skin, so the um, Contracted skin contact, turning pink versus red. Yes. You're still getting the the benefits, the qualities of that skin contact, just in a smaller format. So they will pair with a lot of different foods. The other thing that would also 
pair beautifully with Thanksgiving meal, champagne. But champagne oh, pairs yeah. well with everything from vacuuming to folding laundry to Thanksgiving meal to, um, yeah, it's a Monday at 10 a.m. and I have the day off, so I'm just going to sit in my pajamas and drink champagne for no reason. It is always perfect. So. I, I, I'm a true aficionado. Not that, not that I know specifically like the best of champagnes or grower champagnes or you know, whatever brand i just think champagne is is legitimately one of those things that actually lives up to its hype I, I, it's 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 just a sensational product they've they've been crushing it for a few years now and uh <laughs> I, literally, I, literally i think uh, literally uh, sh- I, champagne it, i was i was talking with uh, our main man guthrie about this yesterday and he said something and i'll i might misquote him but he said something like it's the most affordable luxury good in the world. Yes. Like if you want the best car in the world, it's going to cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars. dollars. If you want the best watch in the world, it's going to cost you 70,000, $80,000. But if you want the best wine in the world, it's champagne and you can get a really nice bottle for under a hundred dollars, far under a hundred dollars. And if you watch sales, you can sometimes get it for under $50. You can come to Voyager and get amazing champagne um, at super affordable prices. That's the store plug. Yeah. And these these are fine products. They're not, they're not like a a half-assed version of this is what, you know, Tony Bennett's drinking. This is what Jay-Z is drinking. This is what, this is, this what is what the Lady Gaga is drinking. Oh, Lady Gaga? Lady Gaga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 She loves that shit. Yeah, of course she does. Look at her. Um, she is champagne. Look at her. Look at her. She's look at cha- her. She's champagne. Drinking champagne all day. All day. Um, so, yeah, we didn't bust any out. We'll probably do like a champagne episode oh, at some point. F, um, F- yes? Yes. Sorry, um, we, this, is, this is something that we do. We digress often um, as we have more cocktails. They'll, or cocktails, I'm sorry. That's a generic term for getting fucked up. As we have more drinks and more taste, we generally, Jordan and I specifically, have a ten- tendency to get a little more we, we run on chatty, and the swears start coming on. So, let's talk apologies. about this. Let's okay. talk about this wine. Well, the reason I went down the rosé road was because originally what I had requested for today's show was the rosé version of this wine, mm. and they sent mm-hmm. me the red version. Which, either way, it doesn't matter because Pinot Noir is also a fantastic wine for Thanksgiving dinner. So I mean, the, you know, the quintessential Pinot Noir would probably be Burgundy. True. Um, yeah. Pinot mm-hmm. Noir, always associated with the Burgundy region. They are kind of the benchmark of Pinot Noir, in my opinion. Uh, this is not a Burgundian Pinot Noir. I brought an affordable one in. Uh, this particular one is from Languedoc, and um, they make two Pinot Noir, one not oaked and one oaked. So I brought the unoaked version in. What makes Pinot Noir great for Thanksgiving dinner? Again, comparatively to other red grapes that most people would automatically assume, you know, cab, blah, blah, blah. Acidity tends to be higher. Yep. Tannins tend to be lower. That's not to say there are no tannins in the wine, just compared to other household name grapes. It has lower tannin level. So even though, you know, fat loves tannin and tannin loves fat, there's a difference between, say a porterhouse and the type of fat that you're getting through gravy that you're putting on turkey, different levels of fat. Um, not and, to and say that the fat isn't there, but different. I think there's different types of fat at Thanksgiving. So like fat. you want to yeah. have something that's going to play well with all of them. Yep. I, and I, and I, when we think about cabs 
with steaks. It's like, yeah, you're having beef fat. And those cab tannins and that cab acidity. Almost specifically beef fats with cab. I, it doesn't yeah. work as well with lamb fats or other right. other right. fats. It's like yeah. beef fat. Right. Yeah. Right. But then so many people forget that there's also Sangiovese out there or Ionico or Nebbiolo. It's like everybody thinks cab, cab, cab on Malbec. Well, that's probably what the Italians uh, in Italy do for Thanksgiving. Maybe. Just kidding. They don't have Thanksgiving in Italy. You know what? Every day is Thanksgiving in Italy. (laughs) You know, when you have that food, every day is Thanksgiving. Every day there. God Um, love them. Yeah, they're blessed. So Hashtag blessed. Live, laugh, love. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Blessed again. There it is. Again. Get well, the and I, the gabagool. Uh, the gabagool. I don't think Ita- I don't think Italians eat gabagool. Yes, they do. <laughs> they. I think if you go to Italy, my brother-in-law Francis Gerard de Silvio, gabagool is an everyday word in his kitchen. And he is an American Italian, an Italian American. Yes, yes. I'm saying if you go First over generation. Italian Italians. Yeah, it, 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 Italian Italians. I think it's a capicola. Uh, a capicola. So, something like that. We shouldn't sit here and fuck <laughs> no, with the Italians. Sarah no. Nardi's going to listen to no, this. I, I, and I don't, yeah, I don't want to. The last, the last people I want to mess around with are the Italians. Oh, see that, though, in, um, the, in and of itself. Is yeah. A, right. Well, Love you guys. Or the Irish, but they don't really do a lot of wine in Ireland, so I don't. No, we know. don't. We uh, do a lot of whiskey. Oh, Fair. that's right. Peggy, yeah. Peggy's a. Um, uh, yeah, Peggy's. An Irish lass. Yes, I am. Irish American lass. Yes, I am. Um, so this Pinot, <laughs> specifically, <laughs> this one's not from Burgundy. It's from the Languedoc, yep. and I mean, it's it's quality juice. I love the nose on this. It's got a soft, um, a soft texture on your tongue. Some really nice kind of muted fruit profile things going on here. Um, nice acidity. Yeah. Like this is a, a really solid. Um, and again, really affordable Pinot. Um, and for, for those of you listening, if you're, if you're interested in any of these, let us know. Um, chances are we're going to have some of these in the shop anyway, but we're always happy to order things for people if if they like what they're hearing on on the show. So, um, yeah, this is the Jean-Michel. No, I'm sorry. This is the Luc Chalot. The Luc Chalot. And another thing about the grape in itself, because we have the Pinot Noir here, and then we're going to go into the Gamay grape, um, Mm -hmm. Beaujolais specifically. But flavor profiles, again, how we were talking about that, both the Pinot Noir grape and the Gamay Noir grape, you know, you tend to get tartar cherries, raspberry, red currant, um, cranberry. So what does everybody have at Thanksgiving? Cranberry sauce. And that kind of complements the flavor. But then when you start getting into, say, Burgundies and Cru Beaujolais, you also start getting components like um, Forest Floor. And all those fantastic, for lack of a better word, umami sort of things, the smokiness, the the mushroom. Mushrooms, herbaceous. Yeah. That, I mean... Dank almost. Dank almost, right. But that also brings out, you know, umami and gravy. Or if you were to have um, does it, stuffing does it bring with out sausage? the Udaddy in gravy, too? Or, um, you know what? Umami is kind is that, of a is sexist that, word, Is that just as it? dirty as toss out and scrambled eggs? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, sorry. So, yeah. Like, Ugh. you know, but stuffing with Italian sausage in it. I, I, it just, I would prefer to sub out a pinot or a gamay for the cranberry sauce. Like, let's just, yeah. like, you know what? You can 
put it on the table for decoration. I'll take those flavors in wine. Thank you very much. That's just my thing. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I agree. And I agree, I think, probably because we're both alcoholics. <laughs> I mean, you could you I like could, how he left me out of that. You could you could you could say that about turkey. Well, fuck the turkey. Let's just have a buttery shard from Napa. Yeah, fair. Yeah, and you know what? It just kind of like, <laughs> kind of like the turkey sandwich always tastes great the next day. Same thing with the cranberry. I I almost prefer it the day after with a sandwich, as kind of like a side. I just think that cranberry is a highly underrated Thanksgiving thing. You underrated? Know. Underrated. It is. Okay. Cranberries are underrated. Maybe I've just yeah. never had a good one. I've had like the canned ones. I'll make you some. Peggy's going to make some. I'm going to make some for you. Let's move on. Okay. Let's, let's get into some, some Beaujolais okay. here. Okay. So Beaujolais. Um, kind of like it is with most. Not just for Karen's. Not, no, not just for it. But, but that would be Nouveau. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're not even. Um, we're not even going we're, there we're today. We're not. We're not going to Nouveau. Although we'll have to talk about it just in terms of its celebratory factor. Okay. All right. But All right. Yeah. Fair. Gamay. And I know this is Gamay is a Buckster grape. Um, it is the Buckster grape, perhaps. So so underappreciated. Um, I tend to think of Gamay as like a poor person's Burgundy. Poor person's Pinot, Pinot Noir because I love Burgundy, but, but I can't but you can't afford, afford it. it. No, nobody, no. nobody can. That's just mental. No. Um, <clears throat> so what I love about the Gamay grape okay, is that you that? get again a lot of the same flavor profiles. Now Beaujolais as a region is kind of interesting. So the for French administrative purposes, the government tends to consider Beaujolais part of Burgundy, but really the only thing it has in common with Burgundy in terms of winemaking is just geographic proximity. They're literally butt up next to each other. Um, you go to Burgundy, the king red grape is Pinot Noir. You go to Beaujolais, the king red grape is Gamay Noir. Um, and again, even though it has a very similar fruit profile, winemaking style is different. Most, not all, most of your Beaujolais producers will use what they call carbonic maceration. So they, you know, take whole clusters of the Gamay Noir grape, put them in, you know, giant vertical tanks, and the grapes crush themselves under their own weight, and fermentation is started within each individual grape. Um, what does that do in terms of... It's kind of like falling asleep after Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. You're literally crushing yourself yep. under your own weight. Until you fall asleep. Exactly. And then you wake up bubblegummy and banana-y. What if your whole body <laughs> fell asleep instead of just your arm? Is that just sleep or is that, like, does your whole body tingle? I don't know. Do, I don't do you know. go forward with your face into the plate I or I no? Know. Sorry. I don't know. <laughs> We're digressing. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it, it's a fair question to ask. I, I think that's a, a, an important um, aspect uh, of the production of, of a lot of Beaujolais Gamay. Yeah. Um, and something that... We're certainly going to probably dedicate some time on. Um, maybe that's a a question for for Guthrie or a discussion point for Guthrie for some tech some tech stuff. Tech stuff. Let's talk about this wine in particular though, because okay. oh this shit, is this is like, really nice. Now this yeah, is the, a Beaujolais the aroma on this is amazing. Yeah. It's like gamey and earthy and funky. Yep. Um, and yeah. um, so Beaujolais Village, there's basically. Th- 
three regions within Beaujolais, or three classifications. You have your Beaujolais AOC, which is just kind of like run-of-the-mill catch-all, which is in the southern end of Beaujolais. Go a little bit north, and you're in Beaujolais Village. And there's 30-some-odd villages within Beaujolais Village. And then you go to the north part of the Beaujolais region, and that's where you're going to go to the 10 different crew areas. So we have a crew after this, and we'll talk about that in a sec. Um, but Beaujolais Village is definitely a step up from run-of-the-mill, catch-all Beaujolais. And most of your Beaujolais Village that you'll see on, say, wine shop shelves tends to be a blend of Beaujolais from different villages or different vineyards. This particular one isn't, though. So you have a, a, a Beaujolais and then a Beaujolais Village yes. and then a Beaujolais crew. Yes. Okay. So think of it as ascending levels of quality. Okay. Okay. Um, and the cool thing about Beaujolais, when we were talking about those flavor profiles, Beaujolais also has that like peppery spiciness on the finish, which I yeah. think is really kind of fun. Um, this particular one is from Jean-Michel Dupre. His family also has vineyards in the Morgon crew, which is neither here nor there. I just thought I'd give him a plug. And the name of the vi- uh, wine is... Um, in English, vines of 1940. So his family's vineyard was planted in 1940, and God love them, the vineyard survived World War II. So much of Europe, and this is a dust statement, was devastated by World War II. Um, but including, which was so important for the economy of France, a lot of the vineyards sure. in the country. So the fact that his family's vineyards, both here and in Morgon, survived, I think is you know, not too shy of a miracle. Um, and he just makes a rock solid product. It's, uh, again, it yeah. has all those flavor <clears throat> profiles, the spiciness, everything you want that's going to complement the style of meal of Thanksgiving. But um, it, it's funny because Beaujolais has also been referred to as um, a white wine that happens to be red. Yeah, I could, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because it tends to be lighter bodied. Yeah. There's definitely like, um, some complexity in here, like some like dried plum. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, my babysitter keeps texting me right now, and it's like making a noise <laughs> on my computer, which is annoying. But um, I, yeah, um, dried plum, black pepper, a little white pepper even. There's like some cool layers going on in yeah. this wine. Um, and again, I think speaking of the Thanksgiving feast, those layers are going to translate to matching up really nicely with something on the table oh absolutely um, yeah this is great big fan big fan big big fan buckster likes it buckster likes it well gammy and since i am from swiss sellers i should give a very fast plug to switzerland because um the swiss love their gammy and if you think about switzerland you have your french part your german part and your italian part and the french part of Switzerland that makes wine. The two red grapes that they focus on are Pinot Noir and Gamay. And uh, they do not do carbonic, so they're traditional vinification, just as an aside. So if you don't happen to enjoy the um, the bubblegum aromas the, yeah. or the slight banana aromas and profiles of a Beaujolais, seek out a Swiss Gamay. So, yeah. You know, yeah. shameful it's plug. Good advice. No, I mean... Um, yeah, the, the carbonic maceration does so much. Um, if you can ever do a, 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 you know, an A and B comparison between 
uh, traditionally vinified gamay versus one that is carbonic or partially carbonic. Um, the difference is astounding, and, and first and foremost, it's it's um, it's a mouthfeel thing. It's a, yeah. a softness, a pillowy softness, a more kind of like the carbonic stuff tends to have a little bit like softer, rounder fruit going on. Well, it definitely it showcases the innate fruitiness of the grape. Right. You you, it amps it up. you just mentioned the the traditional that this is more. I'm sorry, I, I, I kind of lost it. That 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 carbonic maceration isn't the traditional process. It, well, it's kind of it's what they do in Beaujolais, but mo- and and it's funny because there are wineries like there's some West Coast wineries that are doing carbonic on say Sangiovese. So you have vineyards throughout the world experimenting with it as a way of producing wine, but it's almost you know 99% of the time it's associated with the Beaujolais region how how new is how new is that process i mean i mean it's still 100 years old it's 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 50 oh, it's, years no, old no 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 it's well over 100 years okay. old it's just kind of like the style that they always did okay so the swiss don't do that no they don't um, which is interesting, but they, the they French do it. do it with some of their. They do it in Beaujolais. Beaujolais. If you go to say Burgundy, they would never consider because Burgundy has um, a style of wine called the Pastagran. So that's a Gamay Pinot Noir blend. They would like never consider doing carbonic with the Gamay that they use for the Pastagran. It's just not a thing. We've only been doing this for three hundred years. It's not for me. I don't know why that was you know, the that was perhaps the shittiest. French accent I have ever. He's wearing a beret with a pencil thin mustache right now, and he's miming his answers. Well, the striped so. the striped shirt should have given it away. <laughs> is is that a baguette in your pocket, or are you just happy <laughs> to be here? <laughs> it's a it's a it's a mini garlic bread. <laughs> You're going back to the gabagool. All right, gabagool, gabagool. Oh my god. It's a bread. This uh, it's episode a bread is brought stick. to you by HBO Max. You know, I am so glad that we're actually being recorded because what goes on here, folks, on Tuesdays, much worse than this. Um, That's true. By yeah. much worse, she means much better. Well, yeah, but you know, things so, that yeah. we shouldn't record and put out there for posterity. That's not to say there aren't rules out there, ladies and gentlemen. There are still rules. We live in a civilized society. Uh, yes. Oh yeah, I'm cracking up. Okay, so now we're um, we're tasting a Beaujolais Cru. So um, in the rest of France, Cru often refers to say a specific vineyard. Um, in Beaujolais, there are ten villages who are considered to have superior terroir. So each village is given its own Cru name. Um, interesting, like little factoids about Beaujolais Cru. So um, Swiss sellers, yay! We also sell a Beaujolais Village Rosé, so Gamay Rosé. Um, and we have the Beaujolais Blanc. Beaujolais crew, in terms of, you know, if you're talking about wine rules and how you can label bottles for sale and export, you will never see a Beaujolais Blanc with a crew label, and you will never see a Beaujolais Rosé with a crew label. Okay. Even if a vineyard um, in a Beaujolais crew happens to grow Chardonnay, if they decide to sell the Chardonnay, it has to be labeled Beaujolais Blanc, other under either like the village heading or the overall Beaujolais AOC. So they're kind of snobby. The only labels that can have crew labeling are Gamay Noir. Fine. It's okay. good. So we've I've, said that. We, we've talked mm, about that. Well, and take, the interesting yeah, thing about... There are rules. Yeah, there are, there are rules. rules. 
The interesting thing about Beaujolais Cru, I mean, when you get a good one and it's aged a little bit, it can rival a serious burgundy. I mean, it just... Uh, and it, and it's going to cost a quarter or an eighth of the price. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there is a word. I actually wrote it down because I always forget it. Cheap skate? Um, <laughs> just kidding. That refers to that. Oh, I, sorry. This is serious P- shit. Pino, Pinot et Pinot 8. Um, I'm not sure of the pronunciation because I took Spanish in high school and not French. But um, P-I-N-O-T-E, Pinot. Anybody out there that speaks it, French, help me with this. Is that like a diminutive of... No, it actually means a Pinot-like Beaujolais. Oh, okay. okay. Um, yeah. So I just don't know if that would be Pinote, Pinote. Pinote to me sounds Italian, so I'm yeah, not sure. I, I, Pinocchio? My, my, French is, my French is non-existent. So this, this uh, is yeah. the crew. This is the crew. This is the shit of the uh, the Beaujolais yeah. world. Yeah, this they, is uh, for the for the marijuana smokers. This is the kind bud. This is the good good. Yeah. Um, the if I, if I'm not mistaken, the crew is the kind bud, like the good good. The village is the beasters. The the middies. The the yeah, it's the middies. It's seedless. Yeah. It's good. It's not all bricked up and shit, but it's yeah. It it's it's good. Yeah. It's real good. Yeah. The um, village. You're in Schwagland, which is fine. You know? (laughs) Roll it up. Roll it up. You know? Have no fear. Amen. Um, No, this is lovely wine. Um, You can definitely see the difference between the village and the crew. Holy uh, shit. Quality. Yeah, it's fantastic. This is like just peaking. It's it's amazing. So in in general, like a price on a shelf, what are are we talking about the difference between, and and we're talking round numbers, between a village and a crew. Is is a crew $10 more a bottle or $20 more a bottle? Uh, I would say average price will be somewhere between like $9 and $15 more, depending on the crew, depending on the vintage, um, depending on the actual Beaujolais village. I mean, this happens to be when I was talking about Beaujolais Village can be a blend of Gamay grapes from the different villages in the Beaujolais Village AOC, this particular one from Dupre, it's only their grapes. So it's going to fetch a little bit higher price um, for Beaujolais Village than, say, somebody that's blended from several different villages. Sure. Fair. Okay. okay. So on average, I would say somewhere between 9 and 15. Uh, it's worth it. Definitely, it, 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 it's worth it. I, there is nothing wrong with a Beaujolais Village at all. It's, at all, it's it's it, great. The, the one we tasted was delicious. Was delicious. Yeah, it was far out. Was this great. this one uh, is much better. This is a little bit more serious. It's it a, is more serious. Got a little bit makes you pause a little longer. Yep. Makes you kind of I don't know. Just think about what you're doing. It makes you a little more mindful about about contemplate your, your, your blessings. Blessings. Yeah. Bringing that word back. Yeah, in. there it is. There you go. Blessings. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. Um, that was lovely. Uh, really cool. And yeah, I, I liked I liked having the the A B kind of comparison between the village and the crew level. Um, so with that nouveau B C B D. As long as yeah. we're doing all these analogies. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Might, it might be um, Delta Eight. <laughs> Well, I don't know. yeah, I, <laughs> because I mean, we <laughs> just ditch swag. We, no, that's that's all. No, maybe C- CBD is actually like talk about this. a really great, a really great analogy. I love that. Can you explain to 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 uh, our our listeners, uh, our friends, uh, what 
people have this people have this idea of what Beaujolais is and 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 the sh- I don't want to say this shitty but like the the other Beaujolais is Beaujolais Nouveau and it's it's the farm club yeah it, it it's a quick fix it's a okay so Beaujolais Nouveau um, and we do have to give it a shout out just because everybody to your point when you say the word Beaujolais they automatically think of Nouveau right um, okay so Beaujolais Nouveau is, as the word uh, uh, implies, new, young. It is the wine that the French would use to celebrate harvest. It is quick to market, seven to nine weeks from when the grapes are picked. So there's not a heck of a lot of aging going on there, but the reason everybody associates it with it, and like God bless George DeBuff because the man was a brilliant marketer. But if you go to say the 1950s and you're in a Paris bistro, all of Paris would get excited for the Beaujolais Nouveau because it was kind of like the kickoff to the holiday season. Do you know what I mean? It, it, they know that like Christmas is coming and everything is getting festive and they would sit in their bistros and they drink this young new wine. This is a fresher wine. It's a yep. cheaper wine. Absolutely. It's a party wine. It's uh, old it, style compared to some dank ass beer. Yes. Like it's, it's, it's fun. Let's, yes. let's get it going. It, Let, let's have a time. It's basically Welsh's yeah. with booze. Okay. Um, super, super fruity, but not in a jammy sort of way. Naomi. Right. Um, right, right. Boo, that's not really Pinot Noir people. And <laughs> it's just meant to be a party. So when you go to, say, a French restaurant and they're having the Beaujolais Day celebration, everybody is crushing bottles of this wine because it is so easy to drink. Nobody's pissed off if you accidentally knock over the Beaujolais Nouveau no. bottle. It's like, ah, fucking right. Yeah, right. it's a party. Yeah, Let's go. knock over my yeah. Morgon, people are going to be like, what's your like, problem? Yeah, cut them off. Chill. Yeah, too much yeah. Right. Drink. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, this is like, this is like the... I mean, the festival season, especially in, you know, places and, and times in, in the in the old world that are heavily Catholic. I mean, there there are feasting days yep. um, for for months, and to have access to some cheap, delicious like wine to celebrate and cheers and clink glasses is mm-hmm. we're not we're not knocking the importance of no, that not at all. But and you need a wine to be able to say tailgate with. Right. Yeah. Going to a football game. Yeah. I, Bring every time, your nouveau. Every right. time I go up to Lambo, you drop the bottle. You're not going to get upset to your your earlier right. discussion. Every time I go up to Lambo, which is the only French stadium I think in in the NFL. <laughs> you know, I think. You're um, right. Calais, Lambo. I'm always, I'm always bringing my Beaujolais Nouveau. Yeah. You know. Uh, it's great for tailgating. Yeah. And a little saucisson sec. Your... <laughs> a little Beaujolais Nouveau. Couple, uh, couple, two, three brats. Yeah. There you, you know. Go. Exactly, and because it pairs well with everything, and, uh, you can do maybe some frites. I don't know. Um, yeah, we're not knocking it. We're just saying that while Thanksgiving does coincide with Beaujolais Nouveau season, you can do a little bit better if you're bringing a bottle to a family get together. Do a village or yeah. a crew level. Um, you know, maybe Beaujolais Nouveau is like Friendsgiving, yeah. where you're just like crushing it and just. You know, being a little hedonistic. Because um, you're looking when for you're, When you're going to talk politics right. with your grandma, you want to have a little something with, with a little more heft to bring to the table. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, and the cool... Oh, so, so, like, yeah. Beaujolais Nouveau Day. Um, it, so, like, in the 40s and 50s, I mean, it, it kind of fluctuated um, between, say, the beginning of November, the mid-November. Wine, the way, it's just crazy, dude. 
debuff brilliantly in the 80s kind of got the Beaujolais region to really settle on the third Thursday of November. So one minute past midnight, the vintners make their Beaujolais Nouveau available to the consuming public. Okay. And it's kind of like a race to get it out to worldwide markets. And getting back to DeBuff, again, I mean, I don't sell it, so here's your plug, Johnson Brothers or whomever sells. <laughs> yeah, because I'm a giver. Um, this one's for free. But the he, next one's going to cost Even you. though he had vineyards in Beaujolais crew areas, ow, ow. he was brilliant because he realized that, like, first of all, the Brits love it, and we'll get to that in a second. But he realized that the Americans have Thanksgiving. And because of all the properties that we were talking about earlier with the Gammy Noir grape, that it's perfect for Thanksgiving dinner. So he, like this light bulb went off in his head, and he kind of made the wine synonymous with our holiday. Mm. So that you know, is, that props is, to him. That is genius. Yeah, it is Totes genius. genius. It is genius. So he was... George. He was the one who kind of turned Beaujolais Nouveau Day into a worldwide phenomenon. But what else also did it for Beaujolais, which I think is a great story, um, back in the 70s, and I don't remember their names off the top of my head, but there were these two British dudes, and they were in the Beaujolais region, you know, drinking some crew wine and all that sort of thing. And they're like, hey, before we go back, we should pick up some Nouveau and bring it back. So they kind of started this... Um, this race and it was a gentleman's bet and for a long time it was just the two of them and they would agree on a starting day and point and they would both like get on the car ferry because the channel didn't exist and come over to Beaujolais and they would have a race to see who can repatriate Beaujolais into Great Britain first and then whoever lost the bet had to give a bottle of champagne to the winner and that was kind of their thing. So over the mm-hmm. years, it has grown into almost like a car rally in an odd way yeah. among, let's face it, super wealthy British people. I mean, they all like jump into their Aston Martins and, you know, like- pip, pip, cheerio and go through the channel. And they do this thing. And the guy who started it will still give a bottle of champagne to the winner of it because the, the two guys we're talking about, they were um, restaurateurs, chefs. They both wrote columns food and wine critics for local papers. So they were involved in the industry and it's turned into a fundraising event, which I think is kind of cool. Oh, that, so that's if you cool. enter it, yeah. you have to, to pay your dues to get into it. So they still have fun with it. So I mean, like, even though we tend to make fun of Nouveau, it's pretty celebrated. It, it, is, a, it is a thing. And I, and, I, and I think that, you know, celebrating a, a wine harvest is inherently a good thing. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and I think even like the folks over at Noble Rot in London have a, a like a nouveau celebration in London. Um, and obviously here it's kind of a big deal. I've gone to a few things over the years, um, like big tastings and it's just a party atmosphere. And, and I think that's cool. I, I think Wait. The, the point of this episode is just that. Yeah. Let's yeah. give that it's due, but let's go a little deeper. When you you're, know? when you're 20, 21 years old, and you're having, like you said earlier, your your first sort of like friendsgiving. You're not going to be able to make it home, but you still you guys are hanging out. You're you're trying to keep it classy. You have a tablecloth down. There's no there's no shame oh, in getting so tablecloths. Well, Dang. you know, I, <laughs> and cloth napkins. I, I, I was going to say just sew the paper napkins together, <laughs> but whatever. I mean, if you're if you're doing that and you're drinking the the Beaujolais Nouveau, party on. I mean, just yeah. just get after it. You guys are doing better than than most, and and have a good time with it. Absolutely. Um, Drink wine. It's yeah. delicious. That's brought to you by the wine. Uh, the wine bar we're at. 
Voyager the wine, wine bar. bar that we're at, sure. Why yeah. not? Why not? Yeah, Studio plug, V. Plug, plug. Studio, Studio V. Live from Studio <laughs> V. We have our last bottle of the tasting, sadly. Yes. Sadly. Um, um, this is from one of my favorite regions, and I think I'm going to yeah, speak for Buckster necessarily, but... Um, he speaks for me. The uh, the Jura Mountains oh, I love in, in France. Um Maybe a lesser known French wine region to, to the average wine consumer. It's but becoming hot, though. It, it is. is becoming it hotter. Is. Yeah. Um, They're doing agro-tourism and all that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, beautiful is, cheeses there. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful part of, of the world. Yeah, um, for sure. And, and the wines that come from there are lovable, like lovable weirdo wines. Um, especially the white wines uh, generally are like really oxidated yep. um, and uh, really cool. This is a red. Um, this is a red uh, from Arbois. This is, what is this, a Pinot? A Trousseau. This is Trousseau. It is a Trousseau. What is the great breakdown on this one, Peggy? 100% Trousseau. 100% Trousseau. 100% okay. Trousseau. And so it, if you're going to, and I hate saying think outside the box, but this would be your think outside the box red. If you're going somewhere for Thanksgiving, um, get a Trousseau because if you are going to you know, break bread with true wine enthusiasts, this would be like, holy crap, what is this? Yeah, and feather you, in your cap. Absolutely. You are going to look like the shit. Um, so Jordy was saying before, the, the Jura region, super, super small, predominantly known for purposeful oxidation, mostly in their white wines. Um, they produce Chardonnay. They produce Sauvignon. They produce an amazing, amazing wine called Van Jean, or yellow wine. So if you're a sherry drinker, Check out Van Jean. You will not be disappointed. Um, true, they true, have true. a sweet dessert wine called Van de Paul. And then in terms of reds, they grow Pinot Noir, they grow Trousseau, and they grow Pulsard. And this one happens to be a Trousseau. So these guys this know is... that I geek out over things like this. So like a true, a true Burgundy or a really well-made Beaujolais, in terms, of, um, in terms of just like the geek factor... You could take these wines, as with the Trousseau, turn your glass on its side, put a piece of paper under it, and you're going to be able to read through these wines. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that. Like, I'm, I'm looking at my notes for the cheese that we're talking about in a, in a little bit, and I, it like magnifies it. And you can see right through it. It's 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 there's a clarity that yeah. is unmistakable. It's clear, but it, it almost is like a mauve color. Yeah, there's a little bit of like brown, almost like you'd find in like a Nebbiolo. Yeah, the the um, rim of a Nebbiolo. Not a little quite, little, not quite brick. No. Not not quite brick. Ooh, sorry, everybody. Um, Peggy's drunk. I'm drunk, <laughs> and she's driving. <laughs> Just with kidding. a lead foot. Oh crap! She's not oh, driving. Give me drunk. cheese, Buster. Uh, this is uh, so. I think we have something else from you by Rolay. Yes. And I think that is a Pinot and Trousseau blend. If I it's a Pinot correctly. Trousseau and Pulsar blend. Okay. Um, this and is a and up the Trousseau. region also makes Cremant. So and that's going to be a story for a different podcast uh, yeah. about bubbles. Yeah. But basically, for anybody listening, Cremant is champagne produced in the rest of France, just outside of Champagne. French also. French sparkling yes. wine, not produced in Champagne. Yep. That as a dude on a budget, I absolutely I, I have no problem with Cremant. Nope. ever. And they each region will use their their local grapes. But what's cool about this, all these wines that we were talking about that you could read through, sometimes you'll get somebody and they'll look and be like, oh, my God, this is such a thin wine. This wine, there's nothing to it. You know, where'd you buy this? You know, Trader Joe's, blah, blah, blah. And then they taste it and they're like, hey, wait a second. 
I thought there was going to be nothing to this wine, and it's extremely complex. Yeah. There yeah. are so many layers, so I kind of mm-hmm. geek out when I can get a complex red wine that I could read through. I know that looking at it, I'm going to love this wine. Yeah. I, yeah. They're, 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 to me, and, and, and as this podcast goes on through, through time, I'm not a I'm not a, a a technical kind of dude, but but I will say this like it is complex. Um, I like the fact that it does look light. It seems light, but there are tannins to it, like very fine, smart tannins yeah, to it. Absolutely, there's acidity to it. Um, it's just a smart wine, and and it is a Buckster wine. Yeah. It, it's a yeah, it's the, nice. The, everything it's, it's everything classy. about this wine is in balance. Yeah, it's 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 finely made, and you can tell the quality. And and to be totally honest, it's not really expensive at all. No, um, this is really affordable. Um, and it's more affordable. And again, I love a legit Burgundy, but like a Beaujolais Cru, it's much more affordable. Yeah, you you can crack this open mo- many Burgundies. You can I crack this open much. for any dinner and yeah. not feel bad about spending the money on it. Yep. Um, I, you know, we don't talk too much about price here, but this would be something that would be in like the mid twenties here, um, for retail. So, like again, and a, super and a high bur- quality and, and a burgundy as comparison, a middle of the road burgundy would be double that, triple that. I mean, I'm just kind of looking over at the shelf, and I mean, a lot of the the burgundies that we have in here right now are probably in the fifties or sixties. Yeah, this is mid twenties. Yeah, it it pulls its weight. It it sits right up there with those wines confidently that is uh, to say we have we have wines here that we sell at voyager for uh to take home to take with you to enjoy thanksgiving dinner to come in on a friday night or a tuesday night and have a glass of wine that that there are wines for different price points and wine isn't about oh that shit's the most expensive wine that shit is the best wine that's not how it works it just isn't um it's too subjective for that anyway like it's just yeah um but yeah, you're right. And and this one, man, there's a lot there's a lot to talk about with with this trousseau and and really just with Jura wines in general. Um I'm sure that we'll be doing a deeper dive on Jura wines at some point, but um all altogether uh the lineup today, um these six wines, um man, really great. We had the the Beaujolais Blanc Chardonnay, um by uh, Domaine Emmanuel Fellow. Uh, then we went to the uh, Michel Fenet Tradition Riesling from Alsace. Beautiful stuff. Petrol nose on that. We went into the Rouge section with the Luc Cholot Pinot from Languedoc. Um, great Pinot. I mean, super affordable Pinot. It's a workhorse. It yeah. does. And if you're feeding a crowd, stock up on that. Yeah, seriously. Get a couple bottles of that. Um, We've got the uh, Jean-Michel Dupre, uh, Vignes de 1940, Beaujolais Village. Fun, super cool, carbonic uh, weirdness. That was, a, that was a fun one. I liked yeah. that one. Yeah. Um, and then we went to the Lucien Lardy Morgon, uh, which was the Cru Beaujolais. Man, that one. Dank. That one was really, dank. Like, yeah. Really, really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was. I think we all had a, a extra sip of that one, yeah. um, and then finished off with the Domaine Rollet Trousseau. Another, another beautiful, um, lovely lineup of wines here today. Thank you, Peggy. Yeah, Peggy. Um, 
the you, thing you is, always bring the you always bring the hot shit. Like, you, you bring good you thank bring you, good stuff so, for yeah, sure. Peggy brings a lot of like classic goodness here, um, especially like French, Italian, Swiss uh, stuff. Um, that's she, kind of like the bread a, and butter. She, she is an old world, world snob. I really yeah. am. Ooh, before we we switch to cheese, just um, it, it's something I like to do because we have a round robin Thanksgiving thing. So we host it every fourth year. And since I'm a Gamay fan, I always have Gamay to serve. Dessert idea. It's a harvest dessert in the Beaujolais region. Coupe champagne glass. Freshly sliced peaches. Toss them with some black currant and then drench the whole thing in your favorite Beaujolais. So good. Okay. You heard it here, folks. Because uh... I will put wine in any possible format. Oh, okay. So you could drink your dessert, have it with a little uh-huh. lady finger, and have that, and yay. All right. Nice. Toss salad and scrambled eggs. Why uh, not? Um, yeah. Uh, well, that is going to wrap up our tasting. Um, and yeah, thank you again. You're um, welcome. You guys, Thanksgiving wines, whatever you do, get some acid in there, whether yeah. it's a, sh- a nice French Chardonnay a Riesling, a Pinot, or Gamay. Um, you can't go wrong. These are also flavors that are going to be crowd pleasers. Um, and, you know, while you're fighting about politics or whatever the heck people do at Thanksgiving, um, wine can be the unifier. And uh, let's let's not forget that. So right. if the turkey starts talking to you, you took a different kind of acid than Jordan was talking about. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. <laughs> Or yeah, or the or the mashed potatoes start talking to you. That's <laughs> yeah. even crazier. Yeah. Then you're too far gone. Then it's you're too done. much. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, well, we'll get back to the rest of the show right after this. cheese today um, that we just got into the shop uh, and we're going to kind of let Micah take it away uh, we are enjoying a little bit of wine with this cheese um, right now we're drinking uh, a Muscadet from the Loire Valley um, this does have uh, some leaves on it it's nice and bright it's got some rich fruit going on um, a little bit of salinity um, it, it matches. It matches perfectly with this cheese, with with the lees, with the salinity. Um, I think. I think it's going to work well. Right? What, it has worked well. What do you got for us, Buckster? What, what are we eating here today? Well, I, well, we were. We've been talking about Thanksgiving a little bit, and um, Peggy's over here snickering, and uh, 
I don't. I am I'm a little. I'm a, I'm a little lost. <laughs> no, anyway, what we have today uh, to start out with, and I'll talk about uh, two or three cheeses, but our sort of featured cheese, I'll call it, is the Murray's Poseidon Pyramid. Um, it's a goat cheese. Uh, it comes to market uh, after being aged for about ten days. Um, it's based off of Valencay, which is a French cheese from the Loire Valley. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, which I think is one of the reasons that Jordan picked the wine that uh, that we're having with it. As, as the kids say, if it if it if it grows together, it goes together, um, and that's just a very uh, it's just it's a truism, I suppose, for lack of a better. This one's a little different. Um, so Murray's gets these cheeses in from the Loire Valley, uh, fresh, and then what they do instead of like covering it with like grape ash. Um, they will spray it with sort of like a powdered kelp. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. They just feel like it's a little more. Uh, Hence the Poseidon of the Poseidon's Pyramid, um, I think, right? I mean, the kelp thing is something that I don't really get to see a lot of. Or, I mean, maybe that's a popular thing to do. I don't know. I don't feel like I've seen a lot of that in my cheese eating no i I think it's i think it's a fairly new thing i think it has to do with uh, there's environmental reasons i feel like it's an environmentally conscious decision it's a nutritional thing not that you're eating cheese necessarily for nutrition but there's also a definite flavor component jordan was just talking about the salinity of the wine I think this is uh, there is a salinity that the Peggy. You can talk. You can say yeah, stuff. Yeah, your, your mic well, is I'm live. Ju- I'm just to... fascinated by the immense amount of knowledge that is cursing through this this podcast right now. Um, well, we are we are fairly educated uh, people. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> We're not cheeseologists per se, but I mean, we we are not cheeseologists. We are cheese gourmands. We like to consume cheeses. So what you're um, saying is that the sea kelp kind of complements the fact that the muscadet coming from Sevremont, which is right at the mouth of the Loire Valley where it meets the Atlantic, that tends to get like a sea spray quality about it. Look so at you're, the we big may brain be on suggesting that. So you're we you're, maybe, you're yeah. pairing sea spray with sea kelp. Which, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. We're taking a dip, as it were. Dipping your toe into the Atlantic and the Loire. Yeah, I'm yeah. suggesting this cheese as sort of a Thanksgiving cheese for a couple of reasons. A, it's a goat cheese, and just inherently goat cheeses are often a little brighter, a little fresher than a cow's milk or even a sheep's milk. Um, what we sort of found as we cut into this cheese is that it is, um, it's it's not as bright acidic as like a, a, a like a chev a chev a chevre, you know one of the chevs. Um, it's a little uh, more creamed out, for lack of a better term. And there's there's some words that, that are used oftentimes to describe cheeses that are a little sometimes, um, you know, interesting. It's, it's creamed. If you cut this cheese in half, there's a fine layer of cream right around the outside. And by cream, I mean like this gooey, buttery, brie-like aged quality. And as this cheese sort of ages... That will become more and more of the cheese, but you don't want it to become too much of the cheese because at the same time, a natural breakdown occurs that causes ammoniation and and, and the cheese becomes ammoniated and you get that ammonia smell. So this cheese is like right at the peak. Um, 
in the next week or so, it's going to reach its peak. It's kind of right there. Uh, there's a layer just in of time for Thanksgiving. Just time. in time for Absolutely. Thanksgiving. Yeah. There's a layer of kelp in between it um, that just adds a little bit to the 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 cheese itself. The shape of it's the cheese not, is kind of like, a. It's not like a like a big flavor component of the cheese, but I mean, no. it does it does like I feel like there is a. Um, no, I think it's artistic in a lot of ways. Oh, I think absolutely. I think that they're like, let's do this because we can, and why not? Um, let's have fun with it. We've been making this style of cheese for hundreds of years, and entertainment, you know, two or three hundred years ago was maybe throwing a little line of cheese or a little line of ash or or kelp right. in the middle of it. It's like, oh, there's a surprise. Yeah, yeah. Um, this cheese is is uh, the story goes that this cheese was originally in sort of like a true pyramid. Uh, shape. Yeah, this, this cheese has a square base that kind of triangulates up into a pyramid shape. More Aztec-y. More Aztec pyramid than sort of Egyptian pyramid. And apparently... Maybe one of early the, period Egyptian, but I'm just... Jordan, um, Jordan, <laughs> Jordan's a nerd and has studied um, archaeology, amongst other things. So he's talking about pre-period Egyptian, which I don't even know what that means. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you're doing great. This, yeah, uh, this 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 cheese though is shaped a little strangely, right? I mean, it's it is like a- the, the the top of the pyramid is cut off, and apparently the story goes that Napoleon, asshole that he was, went to True. Egypt and and tried to like you know pull some shenanigans there. Went all the way to Egypt and had very little success. So when he came back to France and the Loire Valley after his sort of. Uh, what are they called? Uh, Campaign. Campaigns, exactly. To Egypt. He saw the tips of these cheeses and decided to uh, take out his sword and cut them he off. Yeah, real triggered. It was, it was, just, uh, just triggered. He was like, uh, it was a bris. They, yeah. they cut it the tip off. Sure. They, they cut yeah. the, they, they cut the tip off. And, um, if there's truth oh, to yeah. that or not, who knows? But the tip is cut off of these cheeses. Where the tip went, I'll never know. And that would be paired with Manischewitz. That is, yeah, the tip. If you ever find the tip, you get a nice Manischewitz, and it's going to be chef's tips. Boom. Maybe that's what this segment should be called. This is, yeah, maybe that's what it should be called. Oh, man, I think we nailed it. Um, It's a a great cheese. We sell it here for, uh, I think, like $23, $24. I thought when I first got it, it was a little pricey, but then after we tasted it, it's an absolutely stunner of a cheese. Honestly, I, I like this more than the Valencia that we had uh, a few months ago in yeah, the shop. I do it's too. Just, it, there's a, a really supple richness to this cheese that, um, and especially with this wine too, like, I think the wine really brings out the the thin kelp layer in the middle. Like it just kind of, everything gets highlighted in a really cool way. This is from a series called the Murray's Cave Age series. So, what Murray's does, which is a cheese shop in New York that we get a lot of our cheeses from, what they will do is they'll get these Valences from France, imported from the Loire, and then they'll put them in caves under the streets of Manhattan, which sounds weird. Maybe I... So in the subway tunnels. Yeah, subway aged. Yeah, subway aged aged cheeses. But they'll they'll put them in a controlled environment and, and play with them a little bit and do some weird things to them. And instead of, you know, putting the grape ash, as I said, they, they, they'll put some kelp ash or, you know, things like that. So they have a good time with it. And I, I think it is a difference from the classic traditional Valencia. And this one, I think, is more fun and, and, and maybe more suited for sort of a, an American Thanksgiving table. 
yeah, I think this would be a great a great thing to bust out while people are, you know, helping uh, put the you know final touches on the dinner table, setting the table, things like that. Um, you know, there's always a snack time that's pre pre dinner snack time at Thanksgiving. My family usually does like olives or uh, some crudite, maybe sure. some like oysters if we're feeling fancy. Um, Which would be great with the muscadet. Also great, oh, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're again, doing the uh, muscadet thing. Exactly. Um, but this cheese sits right up there. It will get people talking. It will get people in the mood to eat, um, you know, a big feast. Um, and, yeah, this is this is great stuff. This is Poseidon's Pyramid from Murray's out of New York. Um, we're going to have this stocked up probably, I would imagine. We'll have it through Thanksgiving. Um, yeah. And real quick, I, I just want to mention a couple other cheeses. Sort of the king of Wisconsin cheeses is the Rush Creek Reserve from oh, I thought you were going to say Sargento in the shape of the Green Bay Packers logo. That is not that even the king of cheeses. <laughs> now we're fighting. I'm now just we're kidding. fighting. I'm just no, kidding. it's fine. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great cheese. You got any uh, Colby? Oh, yeah. We got... Well, yeah, actually, I'm looking no, for a nice Colby. We're fresh out of Colby over here. There's Sorry nothing wrong with that. Colby. Uh, the king, of, the king of sort of Wisconsin cheeses is the Rush Creek uh, Reserve from Uplands, um, from the Driftless area. This is a cheese that's based off of the Montaor cheese, which is a Swiss cheese, which kind of ties into the whole Peggy thing and the, and the Swiss wine thing. Um, this is this is a, a a cheese that's wrapped in a, a birch strip. It's aged for about sixty days. It's an unpasteurized cheese. Um, you kind of cut the, the lid off the top of it. You can throw it in the oven at a really low temperature. I'm talking like 150 to 200 for like 10 minutes to just get it really nice and oozy. It's a, it's a really special cheese. We do not have that in now, but we will have that in. I get, by, by the time that you guys hear this, we should have it in. Uh, yeah. No questions asked. We're not getting a ton of them in. First come, first serve. Uh, it's a special cheese. It's not a cheap cheese, but it's a damn fine cheese at this point it's kind of like a like a holiday staple it in is. wisconsin um they do two releases they'll do a release about two weeks before thanksgiving and they'll do a release two weeks before christmas and it's a celebratory cheese it's it's for celebrations it's for christmas it's for thanksgiving to celebrate and enjoy you know a, a, a fine cheese with your family with your friends um and the other one I quickly wanted to mention that I think would work well on the Thanksgiving table uh, is the Willoughby from our friends over at Jasper oh, yeah. Hill, uh, which is yeah, in Vermont. Um, Jordan and I tried this cheese uh, for mm. the first time last year mm-hmm. at some point, and we were kind of blown away by the aroma of the cheese, and we were not necessarily well let's just say we were nervous we were a little not, nervous not that we're scared of no. aromas strong aromas no i mean we're, we're we're into that sort of thing right. per se but this one in particular was like it was like ripe it's it filled the rooms it kissed the corners of the rooms uh to the point where like a lady walked in and instantly knew that it was willoughby um yeah yeah um so so we, 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 we ended up cutting this cheese. <laughs> we ended up slicing the cheese and putting it on crackers and kind of toasting each other with this little piece of cheese around the holidays last year. And we put it into our mouths and we immediately like looked at each other and went right away for another piece of cheese. This is beef bourguignon. We were throwing bows trying to get, get at that cheese. It's yeah. beef bourguignon. It's a deep 
oniony, bacony beef bomb that is mm-hmm. absolutely delicious. It is the robust side of a Rush Creek in a lot of ways. It's a bigger cheese than the Rush Creek um, in terms of a flavor profile. I don't know if I've ever had a cheese that literally had um, like three distinct like sequential notes like a wine, like a really nice wine would have. That cheese does that. Um, and you can, you're like, oh, yep, there's some green onion. There's some mushroom. There's some forest floor. There's some, like, beefy, fatty, beefy notes. And I've never had a cheese do that yeah. on my palate. It was amazing. It's, um, a, it's a brilliant cheese. It's yeah. an American cheese. It's, it's not from Wisconsin. Who cares? It's from Vermont. Vermont makes really good cheeses. Um, and they should be recognized. So any of those three, the uh, Marie's Poseidon Pyramid, the Rush Creek Reserve, or the Willoughby, all, all three of those would make excellent uh, accompaniments to your uh, Thanksgiving. Um, happy Thanksgiving, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Chef's kiss. <laughs>